And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. Still only 35 cents. <laughs> I'm Scott Gardner. <laughs> and joining Is that me we're going up to 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You know Next what that month. Is? <laughs> Next month we're making we're taking a price hike. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? It's going pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this. I'm, I'm having fun with this. Uh, it's it's long overdue for us to get to these stories, and uh, and I'm having a blast rereading them. Although it's funny, I say rereading. I I know I must have read this story before, but I didn't recall it at all as I was reading it. You know, again for for this recording. So. I don't know. I actually I just, am in a similar situation where I know for a fact I've read it, but I could not remember any of the details as <laughs> I was rereading it. Yeah, this this issue in particular, because this one struck me with uh, with all the guest stars that are in the book. I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Oh, I don't remember him showing up. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's early onset Alzheimer's or something. I don't know. But I didn't remember really anything from this. Plus, I think I was confusing it with uh, a later. There was a later Hulk trial thing uh, of sorts, wasn't there? Did <laughs> yeah, I definitely think so, and I think that's one of the reasons why this becomes uh, forgettable is just because it's it's kind of something that's been done before, right? Uh, before and since, I think it's become you know like a, a throwback. And I wanted to talk a little bit as we get into the issue about what the trial would be. Right. Uh, you know, and I am not, the, I am not an attorney who would handle cases like this. So my <laughs> opinion probably has no more gravitas than anybody else's. But, uh, but I did want to kind of go through that a little bit as we get into this. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump in then. So we're covering two books today and our ongoing look at uh, the tussles between The Incredible Hulk and The Thing of the Fantastic Four. So next book up is Incredible Hulk. Ooh, I just noticed an error on the uh, Marvel Wiki site. It says Volume 1. Uh, no, this is Volume 2 uh, of The Incredible Hulk, number 153. This is the uh, July 1972 cover dated issue. Uh, cover on this by Herb Trimpey and John Severin. On the interior, you've got uh, Gary Friedrich with an assist by Roy Thomas as the writers. Uh, penciler uh, Dick Ayers and Herb Trimpey share penciling chores in this one, then inked by John Severin as well. Stories entitled The World, My Jury. All right, so this uh, synopsis is from the uh, Marvel, the official Mar Marvel wiki. So uh, here goes. I haven't even read this yet, so hopefully uh, it's it's a good one. 
The Hulk begins rampaging across the landing strip at JFK International Airport. The Fantastic Four and a complement of military personnel try to contain him, but the Hulk easily tears through the Army's ranks. Uh, excuse me, tanks. Oh, tanks, ranks, whatever. The Thing grapples with the Hulk, but the Green Goliath reverses the hold and flips the Thing onto the asphalt. Civilians present, uh, excuse me, civilians present at the scene begin scattering except for J. Jonah Jameson, who barks orders at photographer Peter Parker to take pictures. Parker, however, feigns being sick so that he can run off and change into his Spider-Man costume. Matt Murdock exits the plane that brought the Hulk to New York and secretly changes into Daredevil. As Daredevil rushes toward the Hulk, the Human Torch creates a blinding flash of light that temporarily distracts the Hulk long enough for the thing to land a punch across his nose. Daredevil tries to intervene, but the Hulk grabs a hold of his billy club and slings Daredevil backwards where he lands harshly on the wing of, of the airplane. Uh, I have something to comment on that when we get to it. The fact that As the Hulk... Well, that plus the fact that Sue Storm stands there and goes, ooh, that had to hurt. I'm thinking, bitch, you can create cushions with your mind. Why didn't you... <laughs> you know, that was the first thing that occurred to me is that don't we see her do that all the time? Use her force field powers to create, like, cushions of air so people don't like die and she just stands there and watches yeah it's it's crazy uh as the hulk turns to resume the fight with a thing uh mr fantastic uses a weapon called the nega gamma which uh fire and fires it into the hulk the excessive dose of concentrated gamma radiation overwhelms the hulk and he falls toward uh falls forward unconscious the Hulk is then loaded into a triple-layered titanium steel containment pod. I like to think of it as chrome steel myself. <laughs> uh, signed by Tony Stark. As days pass, Matt Murdock prepares his defense uh, for the Hulk's trial. Unfortunately, he will be pleading the case against his old partner, now a district attorney, Frankie Foggy. Now, I totally didn't catch that that was Foggy. That he was I know Foggy appeared in the issue, but I didn't realize he was the uh, prosecuting attorney. Okay. Murdoch confers with Reed Richards, who tells him that uh, he had hoped his Nega Gamma gun might hold the key to curing the Hulk. At the arrangement, excuse me, arraignment rather, at the arraignment, uh, Murdoch argues that it is impossible for the Hulk to receive a fair trial and motions for uh, dismissal, and it says dismal here, they misspelled it, dismissal, based upon the Hulk's obvious diminished mental capacity to stand trial. By law, the Hulk's presence is required in the courtroom, though he is bound and gagged with heavily fortified metallic bonds. Again, chrome steel. The judge rejects Murdoch's motion and proceeds with jury selection. Reed Richards returns to the Baxter building and continues studying the Nega Gamma gun. He is desperate to save the life of the Hulk's alter ego, Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner who in truth is innocent of all crimes perpetrated by the Hulk. Uh, as the trial continues, uh, Murdoch calls the Avengers in to testify as character witnesses. The judge dismisses the relevancy of their testimony, citing that Murdoch is using their reputation and showy display of powers to prejudice the jury. Reed arrives at the court and asks the judge for the opportunity to try his Nega Gamma gun on the Hulk so that he can uh, transformation back into Bruce Banner. The judge agrees because he's stupid and Richards activates the device. The tactic fails, however, and the only thing he succeeds in doing is making the Hulk stronger. The Hulk 
the Hulk's anger intensifies until he is strong enough to break free of his bonds. He smashes through the courthouse walls to the outside and leaps away. And that's that's not a bad synopsis. That's that's a pretty good one, I guess. My biggest issue with this one is the nature of the trial itself, because I don't think even, you know, even going back 40 years, I don't think this is or closer to 50 years, actually. Uh, I don't think this is the way a case like this would proceed. Uh, I think the reality is, first of all, that, that the diminished capacity part of it would be subject to a major hearing it wouldn't just be uh you know a I, i'm going to make an oral argument for it for one second and you're going to deny my my motion and we're done because that would be on appeal and there'd be all sorts of things so you'd make a major record for that secondly he's on trial according to what i've seen for crimes against humanity uh so so it is basically a criminal thing where they are saying he had the the capacity uh what they call in latin scienter uh that he he understood what he was doing was wrong and did it uh that's that's really just not reality here the reality is they would be saying to themselves whether he knows what he's doing or not he poses a threat to humanity and therefore we're looking to negate that threat The reality is that if he was going to be on trial at this point, it would not be, well, first of all, it wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't just go to Supreme Court uh, of the state of New York and sit in front of a criminal judge for something like this. First of all, the crimes that, you know, and I put crimes in quotation, that he is being accused of would have been taking place all across the country. So therefore, right off the bat, you'd have diversity jurisdiction, which means it would be in a federal courthouse, not a state courthouse. Second of all, ultimately, the question would be, are we denying him his personal liberty? Are we going to say that the Hulk has no rights because the safety of humanity overrules those rights and therefore we need to eliminate him and his you know, personal right to freedom doesn't count. So ultimately, if this is being done in the United States, that would be a question, really a constitutional question, so it would go in front of the Supreme Court. Right. It wouldn't be in front of a jury. And Matt Murdock wouldn't be handling this. Uh, (laughs) Especially Matt Murdock against Foggy Nelson. That seems like an awful coincidence. The only reason he's he's handling it is, you know, name me another lawyer in the Marvel Universe. That's yeah. why he's handling yeah, it. Yeah, because so. we didn't, we didn't have She-Hulk yet. But, yeah. uh, uh, he's he's yeah. Daredevil. That's why he's, he's handling it. But this, this would be in some sort of international court in, like, Geneva or something like that. And it would be something that would be built up over a long period of time. It's not like, all right, we caught him. We put him in chrome steel uh, bonds. And <laughs> let's get the trial started. Go pick the jury. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go. That would not happen like that. Not a chance. This would be, it, like, a major, major controversy. Now, you, that, that wouldn't be appealing reading though i you know i admit right but it it stretches you know it it stretches reality a lot you know you think about any major trials that have occurred in our lifetimes that they're not quick one and done deals ever this this would be something some some really interesting questions though about what one thing i'm i'm surprised that really we we haven't seen more of 
is how the Marvel Universe would have to change and adapt and ultimately become quite different from the world that we actually live in. Um, and, and this got me to thinking about that with the fact of, you know, they, they bring the Hulk right into the courtroom here. As you say, you know, he's, he's you know, according to our legal system, you know, the, the defendant has to be present and all of that. And here you have... You know, the Hulk, I mean, you know, that that's power personified that, you know, potentially could kill everybody in that room, everybody in the state. And they just sit him down, you know, right in the in the middle of the courtroom and, and proceed to have the trial. And I'm thinking, no. So granted, this this is still fairly early in the Marvel Universe. I mean, the Marvel Universe has only been around 11 years at this point. But you would think that this might set a precedent to where eventually, you know, I mean, I mean, what got me to thinking about this is you're telling me that every bad guy, you know, some of which are, you know, ridiculously powerful and dangerous, every bad guy that's ever been caught in the pages of, you know, everything from FF to Spider-Man to whatever has been seated in the courtroom and and had a trial and i'm thinking that that can't possibly be when you've got guys like the radioactive man or you know somebody like magneto i mean how do you contain that they did eventually do a trial of magneto right that and uh, was that x-men 200 yeah but in that, I mean, he's very contrite and and holding his power. But what if what if he wasn't? What if he was determined that no matter what, I'm I'm not sitting here for this. I'm going to escape or or whatever the case. How would how would they ever stop him? And you know, so I mean, what got me to think about this is I, I can't think of a real world scenario that really fits this scenario. So exaggerate it. Say Charles Manson. When he went on trial, I'm presuming he had a trial. Or I, I'm, I guess, you know, yeah, he did have a trial. Imagine if he could fire, if he emitted high levels of radiation from his body that were lethal to everybody in the room, or if he could fire power blasts, you know, or some ridiculous shit like that, or if he could turn into a Hulk, you wouldn't sit him in the middle of the of that of that uh, courtroom. You know, they'd have to adapt the legal system to deal with superpowered beings. Okay, so so let's let's work with that as a premise then, because we're dealing with a universe where there are superpowered beings. So can we make the assumption that they would have adapted to that to the point where they would have special building that is, you know, Designed to protect the 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 audience, the jury, uh, and proceed with trials with superpowered beings. Is that a fair assumption? I'm thinking more of, you know, in in the case where the the being, you know, the the defendant could be contained, but he's dangerous. But he could he could be contained, and he would be conscious and awake. You just do it by telepresence, you know, that, that he's over a, a closed circuit monitor, you know, part of part of the proceedings, but not physically present in the courtroom. Um, if it's a case where I'm thinking here with the Hulk, you don't even want him to be conscious. You don't even want him to be awake for this. 
And so they have him, you know, gassed and, and in some special chamber somewhere, you know, where he's rendered unconscious and you're going to have to conduct it, you know, that way. But, you know, again, you know, does our legal system allow for that? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. You know, I, what I know about courtrooms is what I see on TVs and movies, which I'm sure is all bullshit. So, you know. What we see on TV and movies is usually over oversimplified. Certainly in this particular comic book, it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, but, you know, it, it's an it's an effort to oversimplify the situation and the circumstance and put the Hulk on trial because to go into the machinations that I'm talking about, I think would be a lot of it would be boring to be honest with you Uh, to go through what you're talking about would make sense. And I think it might have made for some interesting reading if you wanted to bring this over like two or three issues, Um, but they didn't do that. And this was, you know, in the, the compressed era. So they're moving things along very quickly and they wanted to go with the idea that it's, foggy nelson against matt murdoch here which you know again it's kind of silly but okay so so let's look at this as a product of the time it came from so this is 1972 or 73 uh you know the, the level of sophistication of comics of that era you know wouldn't really allow for for what we're talking about and you know we i guess we got we got to judge it on that level uh you know they do have they do bring in some Issues where they talk about his, uh, you know, his his ability to, uh, you know, to be competent to to be put on trial. They really don't go through exactly what the charges are against him. They don't have the prosecuting attorney actually present a case against him before the defense attorney starts calling in character witnesses, uh, which is you know not how it works again. But you know I, that was all an effort to let's bring the Avengers into the room. Uh, you you wouldn't have Reed Richards saying because I know he's on trial, but is it okay if I spray him with this gun? <laughs> I mean, it, it's there's just silly stuff going on here. Even even if we allow for the error, did I lose you? No, no, not at all. I, okay. I was coming back through the issue, you know, to see what other. Uh, I, I I can't believe I didn't catch, and I think it's an art thing. I didn't catch that the prosecuting attorney was foggy. And, and I'm kind of wondering if the synopsis is wrong on that point, because I'm looking at the, the art of it's on pages 10 and 11 where Matt and foggy meet briefly. And for one thing, I, I thought the, the attorneys don't meet right before the trial. You'll hear sure you can. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, let's 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 um, look at let's look at the dialogue here. This is uh, you've really let yourself in for it this time, Matt. I mean, since it's been named a federal case, okay. So what I said earlier is correct that it was a federal case, not a New York case. There's nothing a lowly district attorney could do to help the Hulk, even if I wanted to. So he's working for the DA at this time. Uh, probably, and you're probably right in advising me to withdraw from the case, but somehow I just can't. The Hulk is alone, friendless, as much against, as much sinned against as sinning. Thus, I feel I have to defend him, even if it may mean the end of my legal career. Please, if you can't understand that, <laughs> then I don't know who will. Uh, so let's see. I understand. I, I do the same thing in yeah. your shoes. Uh, 
Yeah, he doesn't really. I mean, he doesn't present as the prosecuting attorney. So the uh, they they may be, you know, they they may be, you know, just making that assumption for the purposes of this. Uh, yeah, I I think the synopsis is wrong because then you the first shot of the prosecuting attorney. Um. After that is on page 13. It's the fourth panel. That doesn't look like Foggy to me. He's not fat in the face. He's got a different color um, suit jacket. What color was Foggy? Oh, I guess potentially the tie could be the tie. Uh, I, I just no, that's, the that's not Foggy in that picture. I, I think the, I think the synopsis is wrong. And then he does call Thunderbolt Ross to make a case, but that's that's a pretty weak case. I think if you were really making a case against the Hulk, it would take you a couple of weeks to bring out all the evidence, you know, with right. his activities from, you know, that that he's been involved in for all this time. Uh it's a good point too, as you as you said. I never caught that, but yeah, they don't say what the specific charges are. Um, they just say that it's a special court convened for the purpose of hearing the United States versus Robert Bruce Banner, and I'm thinking, okay, well, what what is he being charged with? Now, I would imagine, you know, property damage and things like that. But I mean, still, is does that warrant the death penalty? I mean, how much? property damage would would have to be caused you know for for the united states government to go okay okay we're just gonna kill you, you well know? that goes to what i was saying too though that it, it wouldn't be he's on trial for his crimes it would be in order to negate the threat to lives and property in the future we're looking to negate him and and do we have a right to do that and whatever uh so, you know, this would be the United States against him uh, as it's presented. So that would be subject to the Constitution and they'd have to decide that. Uh, also, uh, there would there would be a big issue as to whether or not the Hulk and Robert Bruce Banner are one and the same person. You know, because you, right. you're, you're trying. It's the, they specifically said United States versus Robert Bruce Banner, alias the Hulk. And they bring in the Hulk. But, you know, isn't there a question as to whether or not when he's in his Hulk form, if he has the same brain, if he's his, if he is the same person? I mean, I guess it's physically the same brain, but I would you know, think there's so many issues that would just present themselves. This trial would take months and months and months, and you wouldn't be able to get it on an expedited basis the way they're trying to say it here. I mean, granted, they don't ever carry out the sentence you know, right away. I mean, when somebody gets the death sentence, it can be, you know, decades before they're actually put to death. But say they were put to death pretty much as soon as the sentence is, is handed down, they're going to be put to death like the next day, you know, then I, I would think that a precedent for this, the closest precedent we would have in the real world would be something like um, a pregnant woman, you know, say there was a pregnant woman on trial for murder and she gets the the death penalty there is no question they would wait until after she gave birth even if she was convicted and sentenced to death they would right. not they would not kill so, her while she was pregnant so that being the case you know would they you know if this thing had gone the distance and and the hulk gets the death penalty which begs the question how are they planning to kill him um would they actually carry through with it because essentially you know Banner is trapped inside this body. 
And I think a, a, a really strong argument could be made actually both – I was going to say against, but actually both for and against his innocence. Um, you know, mostly for his innocence because, I mean, for the most part, what the Hulk does is completely out of Banner's control, at least at this time. But then again, you know, Banner willingly <laughs> kept dousing himself you know, with high levels of, of gamma to force changes into the Hulk and stuff, you know, in some of those earliest stories, which I think gets glossed over, you know, the, the more years that we add to the Hulk's history, I think the more that becomes kind of a forgotten factor, you know, we're, we're so used to, you know, the Hulk, you know, from like the TV show, you know, where it was all an accident. He didn't intend for this to happen. And now he's the, the innocent victim of, you know, this horrible accident and everything. And, you know, the comics kind of portrayed it that way with, you know, the gamma bomb and everything. But I think comic book banner, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of culpability there. I mean, he kept screwing around with the gamma, you know, afterwards. And I, I think made a bad situation even worse in a lot of ways. So, you know, while I wouldn't want to see some, you know, epic thing like the trial of the Flash that lasted what that lasted like years or something. And from what I've heard, it's you know dreadfully boring. I wouldn't want to see something super dull, but it would be interesting if you could keep it exciting and interesting and, you know, keeping us turning the pages. I mean, an actual trial of the Hulk would, would be kind of an interesting story. I well, you think. think about it, if you're going to try and bring this over a couple of issues, uh, in this era, it was not uncommon for them to have basically like a clip episode issue where they'd right. say, oh, this is the history of the character up until today. Uh, you know, so so that could have been your first issue could have easily been the capture of the Hulk and the determining if he's capable of standing trial and, and you know, it being set down for trial. The second issue could be that clip issue where the prosecuting attorney is presenting his case against the Hulk and the defense attorney is presenting his defense of him. And in doing so, they're giving you his whole history. Right. And I, and I think that could have, you know, if, if written cleverly enough, that could be very entertaining. And then the third issue could be the, okay, you know, what's the verdict going to be and how are we going to proceed from this point forward? So this, this, I think this would, really easily have been a three issue story if it was done right i don't know if there's a reason not to do that but i think it, it would have been <laughs> better served if they had well I, I i suspect it's because of you know just the nature of comics during this time especially the nature of marvel comics it was you know there was a fight every issue you know it was it was action and hulk is an action title you know it's constant you know changes into the Hulk and smashing shit up and, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it's not a courtroom drama. But you, you, know? could, you, you could have had the battles because you have the battle in the first issue when they catch him, you know, when they capture him and they put him up for trial. Right. And then you have the, in the second issue, you're going to be reliving the battles over the course of his existence. And then in the third issue, you know, you're going to have whatever, where he escapes or, you know, what, whatever ends up happening to him. So I, I think, I, you know, I think it lends itself to it, but, uh, you know, even with the action beats, but I, I don't, you know, I, I think they rushed, you know, they rushed it through and, you know, it, it's, I don't want to totally decompress because if you decompress this, you could do this over 15, 20 issues. I don't want to do that. You know, here's the DNA evidence, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> 
I, I don't I don't think that lends itself to the story, but but I think a three issue set story could have been could have been epic in its scope in its scope if the, if done right. Right. But uh, you know we, we are well. I also wanted to mention uh, where is it on uh, page fifteen the the prosecutor specifically says the only issue here is whether or not the Hulk is guilty of being a menace to public safety. That means today, not several years ago. So again, I think it it is taking it to a different level, even though they're not calling it such. It isn't a criminal trial where they're looking to hold him responsible for his behavior. It's more of a hearing to determine how they can go about preventing him in the future and still, you know, what rights does he have? I think that is really what this trial would have to be. Right. But, you know, they don't, they, they never really spell that out the way that, that they could have. Uh, but we, you know, we didn't get into really talking about the, uh, the Hulk and the Thing fight here. You know, I, <laughs> we both missed something. Right in the very opener, the opening splash page, they do say what the charges are. The the word, the very first words from oh, the conspiracy. Judge, you said you stand charged with conspiracy. So yeah, there we go. So, but yeah, the penalty oh, is death. You know what? Guilty. Okay, so 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 that's that's opening up another can of worms because you you go into, uh, you know, wherever the the United States Penal Code or whatever, however it's, uh, you know, put into writing, and. Uh, it's, I, I guarantee this, you, I guarantee you there would be the elements of that, uh, and and they'd have to prove every element in order to to do it. Well, I mean, conspiracy is a weird. I mean, if you're going by the tech textbook definition of conspiracy, who who the hell is he conspiring with? So that's a weird charge. Um, yeah, it's I, it's. I I don't even know what the elements of conspiracy uh, in in a federal uh, prosecution would be, but you know that's that's something. If you're writing this story, that should be the first thing. If that's going to be your splash page, that should be the first thing you should be putting together. Okay, if this if somebody's on trial for conspiracy, what does the prosecution have to prove in order to get a guilty verdict? Right. Uh, and and I you know I just don't see it. I really don't. Uh, <laughs> but you know, and and I. I think I'm looking at this. I'm trying to look closer. Uh, I think that I can't tell for sure, but that may be a state seal, but it might be federal. I don't know on the bench. Uh, it's not a bad splash page, though. No, it's not. No, the art in this is really interesting. Um, I don't like the way the thing is drawn in it. No, it's weird because it, you know, once again, I like pretty much everything in it except the Hulk, although the thing does look really weird. Um, the the dominant artist in this one, although he's just the inker, is John Severn, because I, I look at this and I barely see any um, Trimpy in it at all, honestly. I, it, it's funny because I, I want to laugh at it in certain ways because it, it just, every time I, I flip through this, especially with the cover... It just reminds me of those old Mad Magazine movie parodies that they used to do because those were, you know, often illustrated by John Severin. 
And it, it's just it's so funny to me, you know, to see him doing, you know, straight superhero comics like this, because I'm just not used to that artist, uh, you know, doing something like this. So I, and it just seems unusual to me. But for the most part, I, I like it. Um, it's just, again, you know, you got fat ass Hulk. So I just I can't get used to this. Plus, he's very um, he's very like ape like in a lot of the panels uh, and, and I don't really like that with the Hulk when, it, especially when his face, you know, he, he, he looks like a dumb monkey or something. Do you remember what thinking back to our Looney Tunes episode, the, uh, the gorilla that bugs, you know, the one who, the father, <laughs> that's, that's what his face looks like in a lot of the panels here. Yes. Yes, uh, he does. And although, it, although it, I, it, I really, I really like his face on page. Let me just find it again. Page 17 uh, on the lower left panel. I think his face looks really good there. Yeah, it's not too bad. See, I think John Severin and Dick Ayers uh, are much better suited to war comics and westerns. Yes. And they're not really superhero people. And I, I, I mean, I like John Severin a lot. The funny thing is, John's sister Marie... Uh, who has a style that is not entirely different from his. They have a, sim- a very similar style in many ways. Uh, but I like her work on the Hulk a lot more than I like John's, which is just, you know, it's strange because their style is so similar. Uh, it, John isn't made for superheroes. He just isn't, I think. Uh, so that that's that's the biggest thing about this. And I really, I don't mind his Hulk. I don't like the the ape-like features that it, that it shows in certain panels. Uh, but I... I like his Hulk actually more than I like his thing. His thing is just almost formless. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't yeah, feel no. defined. Um, some of the, uh, some of the, the panels in here, I th- I feel like the inking, uh, got a little lazy too. Cause there's like no background stuff on a lot of the panels. Yeah. So we're, you know, and other ones, you know, in the courtroom, I, you know, well, no, I think there's still some laziness going on. <laughs> Forget that. Uh, I mean, some yeah. of it looks yeah. good, some of it doesn't, but I, I feel like there should definitely be more background uh, art in, in a lot of these pictures. Uh, you know, overall, I think the story is told well, so I think Ayers and, and Trimpey did a good job of laying it out. And like I said, I kind of like John Severin. I just don't like him on the superpowered beings. I think I, think I like him a lot more on the normal humans. Yeah. Yeah, the super powery part of this, um, yeah, a lot of it comes off kind of weird. But overall, I, I really did, uh, I really did like this issue. I'm about, you know, in my read through, I'm about, I don't know, two or three years prior to this. So this was like a, a little glimpse ahead of, you know, of where things were headed. So it, it's interesting. It's keeping me motivated to keep reading because I, I like this and I'm curious where it's going to go from here. That's cool. But it just, it's, it's funny that, you know, you look at this issue and just all of the stuff that happens in this. And, you know, it just it, it floors me, you know, in light of, you know, present day comics and their, their decompressed story. I mean, this this could be, you know, multiple issues. Oh, easily. So a lot of stuff happens in this, and 
I think the thing I liked about it the most is just all the guest stars that are in it, you know, and, you know, in light of, you know, today with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything, it just has kind of that that MCU feel to it because there's so many crossovers. You've got the Hulk versus, you know, the FF and then Spider-Man shows up and Daredevil shows up and you've got General Ross interacting with Tony Stark and, you know, it's just, it's cool. You know, the Avengers a lot of, yeah, the Avengers show. So yeah, it's really neat. I like how uh, the Avengers show up and Thor's missing the, the leggings (laughs) on his out. It just looks really, he looks bizarre. (laughs) <laughs> just bare legs like that. So I guess it's a coloring error. But. You know, when they draw the Avengers, the, the issue, the uh, the panel you're talking about where they come in, uh, everybody's they're all bursting in the room. And up front you have Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. Then behind them you could see there's uh, the Vision, Scarlet Witch, and then there's Quicksilver. So Quicksilver is the one who's right. further, furthest back, and yet they show him with speed lines. <laughs> so is he like bumping right. into everybody? <laughs> Or was he just like way, way behind and he just caught up just then? I don't know. Right. Uh, but so just, I just wanted to kind of recap the Hulk thing part of it. Uh, so, so yes. on page two, they, they face off. Uh, the Hulk grabs the thing's arm and flips him over and throws him. At, I don't even know how far away, but let's just say out of range. So point for the Hulk there. Uh, then it takes a little while for them to get back together while Daredevil and the Human Torch engage him. Uh, but then when he comes back, he punches the Hulk right in the face and knocks him into a, t- a tank, it looks like, and doesn't really phase him much. But I'd say, you know, a point for the thing, kind of even it out a little bit. Uh, Hulk grabs the thing in a headlock, and at that point, Reed shoots him from behind and knocks him out. And that's it for a thing Hulk fight. Right. <laughs> so I'm not sure where I'm going on this one because it felt to me like the, the Hulk got the best of it. Uh, he got the better punch in on the thing. The thing really, you know, he got a good shot right in the face, but he didn't really phase him to speak of. And then he got the Hulk, the, he got the thing in a headlock, which, you know, probably would have worked to his favor. So, by a very slight margin, I'm giving this battle to the Hulk. It's funny. I'm I'm actually going to go the other way on this. And the reason being is the Hulk never actually hits the thing. He just grabs him by the wrist and flings him. Um, but the thing, despite what the dialogue says, the thing hits him right in the mouth. And actually knocks him off his. And the way it's depicted here with the speed lines and, and the Hulk, you know, landing essentially on his head with his feet in the air, it, you know, the, the thing knocked him off his feet. And that's, you know, with the Hulk, that's not easy to do. There's not a lot of characters out there that could knock the thing down like that, you know, which he does. And the thing, or the Hulk actually has a. Uh, pained expression on his face as he you know, as he hits the pavement. It, it's just there's something funny about the dialogue though, because then the very next panel you've got the thing saying, "Huh, my best Sunday punch." He took it and it didn't even phase him. Well, it sure looked like it phased him. It knocked him, you know, backwards. So I don't know. I mean, of the two, I mean, because that's pretty much all they do is you know the thing gets flung and then the Hulk gets knocked down and then you know they're tussling as Reed takes the Hulk out. 
But of the two, I think the thing got the better, you know, got the better hit in because he actually did hit him. He didn't just fling him. Oh, and if you want to go to the dialogue a little bit after the after Reed knocks him out, the thing is annoyed that they interfered with his fight. Yeah. Even even though, uh, and Reed says, "Uh, oh, you weren't making out so hot out there." Wasn't for crying out loud. I was just setting him up. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's false bravado or if he really thinks, uh, you know, he was gonna gonna make a move there. So. Yeah, I'm still going to say the Hulk got in the better shot, though. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slim margin, believe me. <laughs> so the, the first, just because I don't, I don't know if we mentioned it in the uh, as we went through it, the first 17 pages are penciled by Dick Ayers, and pages 18 through 21 are uh, penciled by Herb Trimpey. And I got to say, I don't see a lot of difference in execution and no. I think that goes to what we were saying about, uh, you know, about John uh, Severin's inking, kind of taking control a little bit here. Yeah, he. I think he's just burying uh, the pencilers, which, you know, it gives a nice uniform feel to the book because I didn't even catch that. You know, that that you know, part of the book was by one artist and part of the book was by another artist. I, I never even caught it. It it feels very uniform to me. Yeah, it does, and I, I would imagine that was, you know, specifically uh, by design, since they did split up the artwork uh, chores. Uh, I mean, Ayers did most of it, but he must have been running behind, and they said, you know, we need uh, we need Herb to finish this up for whatever reason, and uh, they, I'm sure they told John to, you know, ink it with your own style because we wanted we wanted to look uniform. So. What do you what? think of how this one ends with with um, Matt Murdock's supposition that Richards did this purposely to empower the Hulk so that he could escape? I, that seems really irresponsible. Well, not only and, irresponsible, but it seems incongruous because he's the one who knocked out the Hulk so that they could get him in this situation. Right. You know, it, it it just feels like you know he he was on one side and then he 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 switched sides at the last minute uh, if that's the case. But on the other hand, I find it hard to believe that he was trying to cure. I mean, what does he say? Does he say he's trying to to? No, he says it's going to change him into Bruce Banner. Yeah, they were just trying to change him into Banner. So he wasn't trying to kill him necessarily. Uh, Which I I think was for the reasons we discussed, that they realized that Banner's... Yeah, because when Reed appears to the judge, which is... I I don't understand that part either. It was kind of stupid. He comes through the grate behind the judge. Why why wouldn't he just approach the bench? It just seemed weird to me. But anyway... I guess it's just to showcase his superpower or something, but he, you know, he's the one that brings up the point that you know they're they're judging the Hulk, but you know the man is trapped inside of him. So that's where he gets the judge's permission to try to force Banner back, or excuse me, the Hulk back into Banner, and you know that's that's an interesting idea. I'd like to see them go that direction, but instead. 
you know, we, we get the Hulk's escape and then this thing with Daredevil at the end saying, uh, he says, I'm not asking you because I don't want to know the answer, but, you know, I suspect that you rigged the device, you know, to set the Hulk free. And I'm like, what? I think they want that to be kind of unclear because, I mean, when it, after the Hulk is captured, when he's talking to Foggy Nelson, Reed Richards, that is, uh, he says, uh, you know, isn't that the, the thing you use to render him unconscious? Yes, it is, only it didn't work as it should have. Theoretically, it should have caused him to revert to Bruce Banner. Somewhere something went wrong, and I'm trying to find out what. And that's ultimately what he ends up using that empowers him. So they're at least giving you a plausible scenario that, that he's just miscalculated this thing. Right. So I, I don't know. I, it's, I, I, I don't like... I, I don't like the nebulous, nebulousness of it. On the other hand, uh, you know, it's possible that Reed Richards saw what was going on and, and felt like, you know, he's not getting a fair trial and I'm going to I'm going to do what I, ha- you know, do whatever I need to in order to get him uh, set loose. But then, you know, then uh, what is it? The Hulk escaped and maybe the law can't touch you, but I guarantee you'll never live this down. So that's 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 it. Nobody's going to say, oh, you acted. uh you know, negligently, and that's why he's free, and we're going to hold you responsible. No, no, no. It's just the newspaper is going to say you're a bad guy. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it's well, plus, it's so quickly well, forgotten. Well, plus, you know, I mean, Reed Richards, he's a man of conscience, conscience, and everything. So, you know, anything that the Hulk does from this point forward is, is on him. But he's already he's he's already got that with the thing, so you might as well keep right. it going. <laughs> right. Uh, you want to give this one's ratings? Yeah, let's give it a grade. Um, I like the cover, but I, I'm not crazy about the cover. Although I do really, this is where the chrome steel thing occurred to me, because I just looked at the way the, the steel's drawn on him, and the first thing I thought was King Kong's. That's, that's kind of funny. The, Hulk, the, the Hulk's got a little teeny tiny head, too, which is weird. It's, his head's much too small for his body. Um, just the Hulk's head alone gives me that, that mad magazine vibe. It just, I don't know. It's just a funny cover to me. Um, it's okay. I mean, I'm going to say, a am going to say a C plus it's, it's pretty good. It's not great. Um, the, I don't know what you would call it. Trade dress or whatever. I, I don't like, and I think you've said this before that this was an area you weren't crazy about just because the art was kind of squished down. Um, because of the way they were framing, you know, the covers and everything. So yeah, there's not a lot of actual art to the cover versus the amount of space that they had to work with. Um, but it's okay. Uh, interior art, um, it's good. You can follow it, but again, it's not my preferred art style and I still don't like the way the Hulk looks. Um, but everybody else looks pretty good. The thing looks a little wonky. Uh, I think, uh, What's her name? Sue Storm actually looks really good. Um, beyond that, I mean, it, it's serviceable and everything. So art-wise, I'm going to say uh, I'll say a C plus on the art as well. Again, it's not it's not my preferred style, and I agree with you. I I think that uh, Ayers and uh, Severin are much better suited to a different style of comics than this. And then story-wise, I mean, points off because it's silly and it doesn't have a lot of logic to it. And there's a lot of it that you're just like, Oh brother. 
but you can't fault it for the fact that they, you know, a lot of stuff happens, um, and it's it's got good action, and it's it's a fun read if nothing else. So story wise, I'm actually going to say a B on the story because I, I got quite the kick out of it. I thought it was a lot of fun to read. It's just not, you know, it's not the most sensical story in the world. So overall on this, uh, I'm going to go a B minus. It, it was fun. I liked it. And uh, and it makes me curious to keep going. I'm really intrigued by the way it ends and, and the teaser for the next issue. So I can't wait till I get to this point in my read through. Okay. Uh, on the cover, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Uh, you came on at a, at a C plus on it. I'm actually going to bump it up to a B minus slightly, you know, the slightest bump up. Uh, I think this is something where uh, if I was on the newsstand and I saw this, I'd be like, oh, I got to get this. And that's con- even considering the fact that although it says with superhero guest stars galore, they're not showing you any of the superhero guest stars on the cover unless you consider Matt Murdock and Thunderbolt Ross to be superheroes uh, in their civilian identities. Uh, so... <laughs> So, you know, there's, you know, we, you're not seeing the fact that the Fantastic Four is in this. You're not seeing the fact that the Avengers are in this and, and Spider-Man. And unless you can make the connection that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, you're not going to even realize that. Uh, so I think that, you know, it, it's a little bit of a wasted opportunity, but I still think it's enticing. And I think I would definitely pick up this book. So I'll say a B minus on the cover. The interior art, uh, My biggest thing is, you know, as we've said a couple of times, that I don't really care for uh, Dick Ayers and John Severin on superheroes necessarily. Uh, But that said, I think the storytelling is pretty solid throughout. I think there are some really nice panels in here. And, I, you know, I don't think the art is bad. I just don't think it's as good as it could be. So I'm going to say a a B-minus on that as well. Uh, Story-wise... There, there are holes you could drive a bus through, but uh, <laughs> it's it's all in an effort to get this done really quickly and to cram a lot of story in. So I'm going to be forgiving on that, and I'm going to just go B minus all around, and I'm going to say a B minus on the story as well, and therefore my overall rating is a B minus. Cool. Well, we so, both wound up at the same place. <laughs> yeah. Only I, I, I did it very steady, and you kind of jumped around a little. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one in our Thing versus the Hulk series would be Marvel feature number 11, which was effectively the first tryout issue for Marvel 2-in-1, where the Thing, you know, with the Thing as a team-up, because the cover even says, yep. at last, in his own Smash series, with an arrow towards the Hulk, I mean, excuse me, towards the Thing, and then an arrow towards the Hulk, and says, and look who's coming to dinner. So it's, it says, Marvel C- feature presents the Thing and the Incredible Hulk, uh, you know, much in Marvel... F- two-in-one and Marvel team-up fashion, the way the cover is presented. Uh, the cover shows the Hulk and the Thing, uh, you know, just at, battling it out, almost similar to uh, the, the Hulk and Thor on uh, Defenders number 10. Uh, right. It's drawn, penciled by John Jim Starlin and uh, inked by John Romita, and I think you can definitely see the John Romita in this cover. Uh, this is pretty iconic, and it was at some point released as a... Uh, a Marvel statue. Uh, they recreated oh, some famous it? covers, and this is one of the ones that they did. Uh, so 
it's 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 a it's an iconic cover, and I'm not giving you my rating yet, but I think you know where I'm going on it. Uh, <laughs> this came out in September of 1973. Uh, the title of the story is Cry Monster. It's written by Len Wein, penciled by Jim Starlin, inked by Joe Sinnott, uh, and edited by Roy Thomas. The synopsis, which is fairly brief, but it's not that complicated of a story. Uh, the story opens with opens with the thing destroying one of Mr. Fantastic's inventions, which is revealed to be another attempt at returning the thing to his human form. Grimm states that he could not stand another failure, and he's left alone. He reflects on his origin as Kurgo reveals his. Re- excuse me. He reflects on his origin as Kurgo reads his thoughts from a spacecraft in Earth's orbit. Kurgo retells his own story, revealing that since being abandoned on Xantha, he traveled to the new world of his former servants, where he was warded off by their advanced technology. Kurgo then traveled to Earth in an attempt to use the planet's strongest creature to control new Xanth. The leader blocked his attempt to recruit the Hulk, and the two villains agreed to stage a contest between the Thing and the Hulk, with the winner's patron gaining the use of both Titans. They trick the Hulk into attacking the nearby thing, and after the two have a lengthy battle, Kurgo and the leader try to transport the Hulk to their ship when it is determined by them that the Hulk would be the victor. Thing hitches along for the ride, and when the two are both and when the two are both bef- <laughs> and when the two are before both Kurgo and the leader, Thing realizes that the whole thing was a trick. The two of them a- the two then attack Kurgo's robot, knocking it into the ship's controls. They manage to escape just before the ship explodes, seemingly destroying Kurgo and the leader. Afterwards, the Thing and the Hulk part company. So I remember this. I guess this was just not too long at all before I started collecting comics, maybe just a few months. And it's definitely you know of that era. But this is, I think what strikes me most about this is the Jim Stalin art, first of all, I think is gorgeous in this, especially as inked by Joe Sinnott. Uh, and it almost shows, even though Len Wein wrote it, it shows, I think, Stalin's affinity for a cosmic story a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a precursor of things to come. I was a little thrown off because I could not remember why the, uh, leader was immobilized and paralyzed and i tried to go back and look into that a little bit and there was a battle i think it was around the hulk 122 or something like that where he was in something that crashed and i guess they just you know it it was almost one of these stories where uh, at the end you think he died and then when he's revived he's in this state well, so. according to the, the Marvel Wiki, um, they had some notes on the issue, and one of them says the leader is totally paralyzed here because he was caught in an explosion in Incredible Hulk 157, and he eventually cures himself of this condition in Hulk 224. So I haven't made it to those. That was actually four issues past the issue of the Hulk that we just covered. So, But, yeah, I, I was thrown by that, too. I'm like, how did he get paralyzed, and how did he get unparalyzed? So. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember him being paralyzed for so long, but I guess he was. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good number of years, isn't it? Yeah, that's about what six years, five six years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I. 
don't remember where I got it or how long ago I got it, but I've had this issue in my collection for, I mean, since I was a kid, and I, I haven't reread it in a long time, but the simple fact that I had this issue was one of the big contributing factors to me finally deciding to uh, track down all of the issues of uh, Marvel 2-in-1 a few years ago and complete that collection, which um, I'm very proud of myself that I did. I always really liked that book. And, uh, yeah, this is neat because this is basically Marvel 2-in-1 issue, like, negative 2, because there's the next issue, number 12, was also a thing team up with Iron Man, I want to say. Yes, it is Iron Man, and it's got the Blood Brothers, and it's also Jim Starlin. Yeah. And it's even more of a, a vision of what we're going to get from Jim Starlin down the line. Yeah. What's funny, though, is that, you know, when, when you... You know, when I flip to that splash page, now granted it says it in you know big letters right down at the bottom, Jim Starlin and Joe Sinnott. I, I I actually don't see the Jim Starlin. I mean, if if somebody had just shown me this splash page and said who drew this, I would have said Perez, because this really strongly reminds me of uh, Perez's run on the FF. If you if you showed me this and you told me inked by Joe Sinnott, who is the penciler? I think I would have said John Buscema. I can see that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think to me, the only thing in this whole book that really stands out to me is, as Starlin esque, if you know what I mean? Cause I, I do believe that Jim Starlin has a very specific style. Um, it's the Hulk specifically the Hulk's face. That is a Starlin face. But the other characters in the book, honestly, uh, they, they don't look like Starlin to me, which, I mean, isn't a bad thing. Because, I mean, if you're going to be mistaken for somebody and being mistaken for, for George Perez says you're doing something right, you know. Well, I, I think but, the, the through line on that is Joe Sinnott, because when yeah. when George Perez uh, drew the Fantastic Four, and we will get in this retrospective, we will get to two issues of that, uh, it was inked by Joe Sinnott. Joe Sinnott was the quintessential Fantastic Four inker. Uh, no, nobody knew these characters better than him. Uh, so, you know, his, his thing is very, very consistent with the way he was drawn by Kirby, the way he was drawn by John Buscema, the way he was drawn by George Perez and Rich Buckler. Uh, you know, he, that's the through line. So I think that's, that's what you're looking at here. Uh, I don't think Sinnott overly uh, you know, shaped the art to his own style, but I think he cleaned it up to a point where it it did have a consistency. It wasn't like what we were talking about in the last issue with with uh, Severin, but I think you know there was a consistency to his inking style that we saw, a very very clean inking style, and I, I actually really liked it. I was going to ask, but I, I went ahead and looked it up real quick, and, and I was right. Um, I was wondering if Sinnott was still the inker during Burns' first run on the FF, and he was. I'm looking here specifically at the cover of uh, FF220. You look at Reed's face on that cover, and then you look at Reed's face on page two of this issue, the third panel where Johnny's kind of turning his head to look at Reed as he speaks. That looks like a burn face to me, you know, inked by Sinnott, of course. But I mean, again, if somebody had isolated that panel and asked me who drew that, I would have said John Byrne, because mm -hmm. that's a burn Reed Richards right there. But so, what it really yeah. is is it's a Sinnott <laughs> Reed but, Richards. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, 
you're you're right. I'm trying to remember if Senate ever inked any of Burns' Superman stuff, and I I don't think he did. I I don't I don't think he ever. I at least as far as I know, and somebody can correct me on this because I could definitely be wrong. But I I don't recall him ever doing any DC work. In fact, I I recall him doing very little beyond the Fantastic Four. To be honest with you. I like his stuff, though. I really do. I think he's a fantastic inker. He it's it, he makes me feel bad because he's not a name I think of very often, but then when I see his stuff, I always really like it a lot. But yeah, the art in this is super clean. I mean, it's it's really nice. It's super. I think the level of detail because you were talking about empty panels, you know, in the last book. And there's not, or empty backgrounds, I should say. There's not a lot of empty backgrounds in this, and some of the backgrounds are incredibly detailed. Like when the when the thing uh, lands in the ghost town. I mean, some of the backgrounds there are really well done, and uh, and I like that. It just it, it lends something to it, and again, it gives it that Perez esque feel because that's kind of Perez's uh, trademark as well is tons and tons of detail especially in the backgrounds so yeah i like that even though it's starlin um it gives me a serious george perez vibe to it and it's fun because you know it doesn't it doesn't do a whole lot of gymnastics to get the characters together but it does have a certain logic to it you know there's a reason why they're brought together to fight and it's almost like a mini, mini contest of champions type of thing because each superhero is, you know, standing, you know, is representing somebody, you know, in their tussle. And I like that. It's it's cool. Right. This is I'm just one. just uh, I'm just looking and I see uh, I, I'm, I'm on Joe Sinnott's Wikipedia page and uh, it says that he at some point inked all of the major Marvel titles, uh, but. Clearly, Fantastic Four was his number one. But there's a quote from here where he says, Down through the years, all through the 60s, DC Comics always called me and asked if I'd come and work for them. And I'd tell them that Marvel editor Stan Lee would give me all the work I wanted. Stan had always told me, Joe, whatever DC offers you, will continue to pay you more. No matter what the rates were in those days, all the artists didn't get the same pay. We all got different rates, and I enjoyed the characters that we were working on. So he, he never did go over and do DC work. He's got a couple here in the 50s, according to Mike's Amazing World. But it's, I mean, it's a mere handful of books. It's, uh, I'm going to switch the thing here to DC. It's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 books, and then he worked, he was one of the many anchors on uh, the second Superman and Spider-Man meetup. But yeah, that's not, and all in 19, late 1957 and uh in about mid to mid-1958, he did a few things for DC, House of Mystery, and a couple other things. But yeah, everything else is is all Marvel. Huh, it's interesting. I, I, I actually would like to have seen his... Uh, is he still around? I believe he's still alive. He's ni- According to this, he's 93 years old. Holy crap. So unlikely that you're going to get a chance to meet him, I would say. Yeah, that's a shame. I'd like to, though. Yeah, so would I. But uh, so let's let's look at the thing Hulk fight here. All uh, right. The Hulk, you know, the thing is in the ghost town. The Hulk materializes behind him and basically sucker punches him. Uh, <laughs> the thing recovers quickly and punches the Hulk through a uh, wooden wall. Uh, 
they they square off against each other with it within its clobbering time, twice? but you can't tell. I'm no, sorry, I think I, I, think, I think it was one. Well, you, no, you know what? They're showing. Yeah, it must have been a one-two punch because they show him coming overhand with a right, and then getting him with kind of a left cross, I guess. Yep. Yeah, so it is. Did. It is a one-two punch. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then the two of them square off, and there's a big explosion panel, but you can't see who's getting the better of that one. Uh, <laughs> Hulk. Hulk lands a couple of shots, then the thing lands a couple of shots. Very even. Uh, they end up in a, uh, I guess, in, what, what would you call that, a wagon on on the train tracks? Mine car. Mine car, yes. Uh, and the Hulk gets in a good shot to knock him out of it. The thing is down on the ground. He's He's working his way up and kind of holding the Hulk at bay while he's actually trying to talk to him. Uh, and the thing that the, the Hulk actually kind of pounds him on the head and knocks him down to the ground again. So he kind of got the better of that. But I, I don't know if you can give too much credit because the thing really was almost not trying to fight him there. He was trying to talk sense to him. Well, then also, he, did the synopsis, I'm, I'm flipping back through it here to see if it says anything about it, and I'm not seeing it here. Um, in the issue, he was being fed energy as well. Yes. Um, because what's his name, Volko or whatever, was cheating. So there, you have to take that into account in this too, which makes it that much harder to, you know, to grade the fight because because he is, you know, he is being uh, beefed up. <laughs> yeah, he comes up behind the Hulk and just, you know, and he's he's searching for what he's been told is a bomb that's going to destroy the world. So he comes up behind them and punches him once and knocks him into a building. And he even says, I ain't never been that strong even on my best days. Something's definitely strange around here. And then he realizes the bomb is a uh, is a fake. Uh, and to It's full of re- used pinball machine parts. <laughs> to relate it to my DS9 podcast, it's a fake. But anybody who listens to that will get that. Uh, then they go up into the ship and they don't really fight anymore. Um, I got to tell you, I'm tempted to say a draw again. I don't think one yeah. of them really gets the best of this. The yeah, thing kind of gets the slight upper hand and it's very slight. But then you can attribute that to him being fed energy. Flipping back through, who gets more punches in? Because I think, I think the thing does. So the Hulk's got one. Thing's got two there. You don't know on that one. Two for the Hulk. Three for the Hulk. Four for the Hulk. Oh, maybe the Hulk does have more. Five for the Hulk. And three. Okay, so. Yeah, I think the Hulk connects more frequently, but I, yeah. don't know that, I don't know that he's more effective. So I'm, I'm not willing to give him the, uh, I'm not willing to give him the, the victory. I'm, I'm going draw on it. No, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's definitely a draw. I think that the thing has been brought up to a, a Hulk-like level. He's, he's very close. So you, uh, as, yeah, as of right now, you have it as a totally even. Uh, Rating. You have the Hulk winning two, the Thing winning two, and three draws. I have the Hulk winning two, <laughs> the Thing winning one, and four draws. Okay. So, so far. Interesting. That's where we are. Now, 
of the stories we've done so far, which which ones which ones stand out to you so far? Uh, I would say the of uh, just to try and pick out what which, which my favorite is of the bunch. Uh, I'm thinking it's FF112 so far. Right. This this is close, but the whole premise of them being the pawns of the guys just kind of I don't know it it. it it makes it, it just knocks it down a slight peg compared to the other one where they're just fighting because they're enraged, which I just preferred. Right. Uh, you know that one's a real just knock down drag out battle. Um. So you know, but I mean, you know, there's the epic nature of the one with you know in Fantastic Four twenty five twenty six. This is so far. That was the first one that came to my mind, but then I have to remember that we're not judging the issues, we're judging the Thing versus Hulk fights specifically, and they don't really tussle all that much, because it's more of the of the Hulk versus the Marvel Universe, you know, as it existed at that time, you know, both the FF and the Avengers. So he's fighting everybody. If we're just rating it on the actual battles themselves, then I think it's either uh, this one or FF-112. Yeah, one or the other. FF one twelve, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with both of them. I, I would say that those are, of the issues so far, those are my two favorites. Uh, but that also may yeah. be there may be a little bit of an influence over this. Is you know, when I first started collecting and I was getting these issues, I was you know much more excited. Uh, right. You know, again, I, I I think it's kind of a weird choice that they brought up brought back Kurgo after he hadn't been around for whatever, 10 years, uh, to make him, him kind of the catalyst for this to go on. I don't uh, remember this dude at all. And I know I must have read that issue, but I totally did not remember. Because I, you know, as I, you know, because he gives his, when he first pops up, he just says, me, Cargo, you know, the master of Planet X. <laughs> and then I'm like, who the hell's this guy? And then it, he goes into his entire story from his first and only appearance before this. And I'm like, man, none of this shit is ringing a bell. So he must have been extremely forgettable because I did not remember him at all. And uh, he's one just messed up looking dude. I like that he's got the, he's, uh, the what you call it, the robot from the day the Earth stood still with him. Right. <laughs> and he's he's he looks Definitely, I think he looks definitely better here as drawn by Stalin and Sinnott than he did in the first issue with uh, Kirby. But uh, that's because he was, you know, that was a, more in the uh, primitive level of comics than, you know, it, it's developed since then. It's funny, I did get a kick out of that last panel on the page where he's recapping the first half of his origin story here and. uh He's trapped under some rubble. There's all this flame behind him. The robot's advancing on him. He says, but I'd reckoned without the fierce loyalty of my mighty mechanical slave. And I just thought that was funny because I read this last night after watching the last episode of uh, the reimagined Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that shows all about, you know, this robot and his loyalty to little Will Robinson. And all. It, was just, it was kind of, you know, serendipitous. I'm like, whoa, that's weird. I just was watching, you know, something about that very thing. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it. It's kind of just a simple premise that they're just using in order to frame a thing. Hulk tussle. I think that's the whole, you know, idea behind this one. So you know, I'm kind of forgiving 
of it, you know, again, it, it reminds me of like the issues where we've seen with the Grandmaster. Yes. Yeah. And I, I it probably would have, they probably would have been better served to have it the Grandmaster and the leader instead of uh, Kurgo, but maybe they didn't want to go to that because they just felt it was too obvious. I don't know. So, so that's where we are for uh, our Thing Hulk battles. So next time out, we get to hit my favorite Marvel comic possibly ever. Wow. I don't know if it is or if it's, you know, <laughs> a combination of it plus nostalgia. Uh, but when I first, first started collecting, this is, you know, one of the early issues that I had gotten. And I must have read this 200 times. <laughs> I think I might have acquired that issue just because you praised it so much. And, uh, well, we'll, we'll get into it next time, but I don't know. Spoilers. I, I really, really dug it and I'm looking forward to rereading it. Cause I don't think I've reread it since I, I read it, you know, after I got it, I had never read it before. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. I'm looking forward to it. So we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna hit we're gonna hit on a little bonus content, uh, <laughs> and we'll, you'll you'll find out about that next next time out. Cool. This All is right. fun. I'm I'm really enjoying this. This is a blast. I'm enjoying it too. Write in and let us know if you're enjoying it or not. Yeah, please. All right. So thank you everybody for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Darn. That's the end.